uh, I don't know. Fuck it, let's go. Howdy, Todd Zilla Files, and welcome to a, a long overdue episode of Escaping the Cave. This is a very special episode today. As I am recording the podcast, I think, and also uh, live streaming this thing on uh, Twitch and on Facebook Live. So I have a lot of things going on right here. I may seem a little disheveled as I try to figure it out, like I am right now, because I need to get that little standby thing to go away, because you're no longer standing, but you're here. There we go. And I tried this the other day, and Facebook, as I was just uh, commenting, I think probably to myself more than anybody, a couple days ago I had this up, everything was great, everything was flying along just fine, and Facebook despite the fact that it's tearing the, the, the entire fabric, the basic fabric of human society apart with disinformation, dopamine addiction, everything else, despite all that, holy crap, if you play like 30 seconds of any kind of licensed music, they will just yank you down. That is the crime. That is the big sin these days. According to Facebook, is playing licensed music in a live stream. <laughs> Fuck Facebook. Yeah, I'm saying it on there. This is you guys. You guys are Facebook. Hi. I got two cameras going on. I got that one for Facebook. I'm not streaming from Twitch into Facebook. This is its own entity over here. And over here we've got the uh, Twitch stream, which I, I vastly prefer. If I can figure out a way to do this just on Twitch and not have to do it at all on Facebook Live, I'm going to be a happy little man. So welcome to Studio 4. It's coming along nicely. I've done a few of these practice episodes for you folks who haven't seen those. Uh, this is the fourth place that I've podcasted, now streamed. First place was in Chicago. Second place was uh, back at my in-laws place. We moved back here in 2018 when the Escaping the Cape podcast really got going. And then uh, the third one was the one you're probably familiar with over the last couple of years at the apartment. And now this is the house, which I'm, I've dubbed Stately Lawton Manor. different world living in your own home man i gotta tell you so this is studio four i've got some stuff uh, put together in here it's kind of it's, it's 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 a work in progress moving into a house like this building a studio i said before on another stream that the the studio is a little bit smaller it's much better but the the space is about a foot more narrow than the place we moved from so the desk and everything else that I'd bought and I'd uh, put together in that studio <laughs> didn't quite work here. I spent weeks. I swear, I'm like, it's only a fucking foot. Uh, wh wh what's the big deal? What's the difference, right? Huge. It's huge, a huge difference. I mean, I, <laughs> I won't bore you with all of the specifics, but it took me a long time to get everything going as far as just the, the, the layout in this thing. And uh, finally got that going. Then I, I, I had to figure out what was going to happen with the walls back here because, you know, you're doing a stream. I don't want to just do this at the kitchen table. I've seen a lot of people on Twitch that do that. No. So I've had a little help decorating here. Said in the last one that uh, I've got a few things back here. This is something I think my most loyal friend or, or fan, I should say, and friend on Facebook. Matt, if you weren't on Facebook, I wouldn't be there either. You're an enabler. You're kind of like a dealer. I don't think I'd still be on that fucking platform by now uh, if it weren't for you. Anyway, he sent this to me. It's a Gloria Steinem book. If you're listening to the podcast, it's called A Revolution from Within. He sent this to me out of the blue. He told me something was coming. He said he was going to get me a, uh, uh, a studio warming gift. I, all right. I don't know what the hell this could possibly be. I'm thinking like one of these tin signs or something, right? And... Uh, it arrives. I open it up. Can tell, kind of tell right away. It's a book. <laughs> and it's that thing, a Gloria Steinem book. And uh, he explained to me that he had uh, been watching a lot of podcasts and a lot of live streams, as a lot of people have since the uh, beginning of the pandemic. A lot of people been, you know, have, have turned themselves onto these things. And he's noticed that a lot of these uh, broadcasters, internet broadcasters, these. Amateur, pro, amateur professional broadcasters uh, across the internet. These influencers have basically what I have back here. They have a lot of books. These are the books that we all want you to think that we've all we've read all of these. I've read a lot of these. I haven't read all of them yet. That's a lot of, one of the reasons they're still there is because I haven't read them yet. Huh. But most of them I have. 
And he was noticing <laughs> that uh, a lot of these uh, streamers had books that didn't even look like they'd been opened. And they were just sitting there sort of like a virtue signal. So he sent that to me uh, as sort of like an inside joke. This is the only time I'm probably ever going to mention it. So somebody's going to tune into this stupid thing in six months and see Steinem back there. And they're going to think that I'm saying that I'm a, a raging male feminist. Your friendly virtual Toddzilla is many things. A raging uh, male feminist is not one of them. Not my cup of tea at all. But uh, what we decided to do was that I'm going to put Gloria back there. I'm going to leave the plastic on it. This is like your grandma's uh, uh, couch, right? The plastic's never going to come off that stupid thing. And I'm going to put it, I got it flanked. This is what I call the Steinem three-way, all right? Flanked by Jordan Peterson on the left and Adolf Hitler on the right. There's not anything more incongruous than that. Have Gloria Steinem, Jordan Peterson, and an Adolf Hitler biography. I had Mein Kampf up there last uh, couple of days. That seemed even a little bit much for me. <laughs> I don't want somebody, you know, swinging by the stream here and seeing Mein Kampf over the shoulder and thinking that I'm a, I'm a Hitler guy, a Nazi. That's what's going on back here. We've got a few other things. Uh, you'll see the hats. Uh, that hat right there I got in Cooperstown. It's an old Cleveland Indians hat. Indians hat. Got another one back over here. These things are getting really, really hard, hard to find. I'm a big baseball fan. I don't like the Cleveland Indians or Guardians, whatever, whatever the hell you want to call them. I've never been an Indians fan. <laughs> Who is really outside of Cleveland? Nobody, unless you like the movie uh, Major League. Uh, but they changed their name. They bowed into this woke peer pressure thing in the last few years. It took them about 10 or 15 years to really get up enough momentum to force the team to change the name, but they did it. They became the Cleveland Guardians uh, last year. I really, if you if you see the little bug down there in the in the bottom uh, corner, eh? not a woke guy. I don't like cancel culture. I don't like people telling people what they can and can't say, what they can and can't name their teams, what they can and can't wear within reason. I don't think that there's anything wrong with the name Cleveland Indians. It's been fine for a hundred years. Native Americans aren't offended by this. Very, very few are offended by this. And the ones that are offended by it just want to be offended by something. Chief Wahoo is the other thing. You look at, uh, this is the most uh, famous one. This is the one that's on Major League all over the place, right? That's Chief Wahoo. He's got a name, all right? This is the thing that just gets all liberal panties all in a bunch. That thing, that friendly looking face, Chief Wahoo. So anything Chief Wahoo now is getting harder and harder to find because the team, the logo has been basically just stricken from uh, the, 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 the his, I don't know if they've really been stricken because if you watch the playoffs, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call them the Indians. They made the playoffs last year. And if you looked at the coverage of the, like the crowd shots, I would say half to two thirds of the shots that you saw were Chief Wahoo. And Indians across, it was like there were a bunch of people that were going out and just buying these things as a middle finger to the team. Screw you, you're still the Indians. Screw you, I like Chief Wahoo. Now, <laughs> Chief Wahoo has gone through a few iterations since they uh, changed the name from the Cleveland Naps early in the 20th century. This is my favorite one. This is really hard to find. This is like a late 1940s era. Chief Wahoo. And I went to uh, Cooperstown with my uh, girlfriend, not my girlfriend anymore, my wife's uh, mom and dad for uh, like uh, a birthday thing back in September. And I was trying to find that hat, uh, the, the, the traditional Chief Wahoo, the one that most people are familiar with. I was trying to find that. Couldn't find it in a hat that I liked, but did find this thing. I can't wear these 5950 hats. I, I just, I can't wear it. Can you see that? I hope you can. This is not something I can wear, but... I figured I'm going to grab this thing because it's going to be a collector's item at some point. They are hard to find. I, I literally, I swear to God, you can laugh if you want to. <laughs> I bought, I think, uh, two or three of those Chief Wahoo hats just to have them on hand. How dare you? Yeah, that's right, Greta. I did. I went out and did it. So I have three or four of these and I'm going to hold on to them because I think in a few years I'm going to be able to resell them. If not... No, whatever. So yeah, they're 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 becoming uh, quite hard to find, as are 
Washington Redskins uh, gear. As is Washington Redskins gear. These things. The Washington Commanders now. <sighs> At least, you know, I, I kind of like the Washington Football Club thing they had for a year or two or whatever it is, but... Yeah, this is the logo. This is the thing. The 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 Redskins was, uh, you know, a lot of people thought it was some kind of a slur. Maybe, maybe not. I kind of understand this a little bit better. But again, I'm going out and I'm trying to find this gear because this logo on this 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 genuine logo on genuine gear because it's it's getting really hard to find this stuff. I found myself feeling like a Stephen Fry's character in V for Vendetta. Have you seen that? It came out. I guess what. Jesus, it's almost been 20 years now. Uh, but Stephen Fry played a guy named Dietrich in this movie. He was sort of a television presenter, like a TV host, like a comedy host or something. I, I, I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a long time. It used to be one of my favorite movies. But he's one of the good guys, all right, in this uh, sort of totalitarian dystopia. And he was collecting... All of this stuff that had been banned by the uh, totalitarian government. Now, this was a dig at conservatives back then, right? So he was he was collecting in the movie. He was collecting things like uh, the Koran and gay arts because all of this stuff in the movie had been banned by the uh, conservative morality police. All of this stuff was considered and deemed to be immoral. Therefore, it was barred from society, banned, stricken. From society, So he collected all this stuff and he put it in this secret room in his house. He took Evie in there. This is all this stuff. Look at all this stuff. She, she, she about shit herself. You can't have this. If they find this, they're going to kill you. And he doesn't care. He, he liked the art. But that's what I got to feeling, feeling like. I'm like, okay, I want to go out and find this stuff. Like this old Cleveland Indian stuff because it's being canceled. This old Washington Redskins stuff. It's being canceled. Stephen Fry and Dietrich. This was a dig against or at conservative culture 20 years ago. And everything is switched now. Everything has turned around where I have to go pretend that I have to hold the uh, Cleveland Indians and Washington Redskins stuff in the secret room in my house and keep it locked away from everybody. <laughs> it's like, that's how it, that's how it feels it's going to go at some point. Right now, it's just hard to find. But at some point, are we gonna, is it going to be like a cultural crime to have this stuff. I just, I, I, I feel like the morality police are starting to kind of uh, get their, their tentacles around more things that I'm really comfortable with. And speaking of the morality police, uh, what was this woman's name? I have to find it here. I didn't uh, write it down before. I, I didn't intend to do this. Let me find it real quick. Because there's a story that I saw. Some woman, I think from the Czech Republic, is that right? Uh, came out and said that she thought hate crime laws were coming to the United States. Like she had some sort of inside information on this, which of course is going to send the uh, conspiracy uh, nut jobs uh, into a tizzy. Where is it here? Sorry, I have to do this with my my glasses again. My eyes are terrible. They just keep getting there. It is. Uh, yeah, it was the head of <laughs> what I've called the uh, EU's Taliban morality police. Uh, she's the vice president of the European Commission for Values and Transparency. Parse that title. The vice president of the European Commission for Values. How is that not the morality police? Unless she, of course, is, I don't know, she's setting the value of bubblegum. Is that how values are defined in this context in the EU? Is that in the prices? Or are you setting standards of morality to be enforced Within your uh, group of countries. Yeah, she came out at Davos and uh, she made some statement. European style hate laws are coming to the U.S. At some point, I had a, a conversation. You've heard me talk about Moonbeam many, many times on this show. She used to be a really good friend of mine once upon a time. And one of the very first red flags, she's not anymore. She's incredibly, she's like the symbol figure. For woke pomposity. <laughs> you like that, don't you? But she, uh, one of the first red flags that went up for me years ago, when we first started discussing politics, our friendship was never found out, didn't never had a political foundation to it. Uh, but one of the first things, uh, red flags that went up is uh, she came out and just bluntly said to me one day how she hoped that these uh, European style hate laws, hate speech laws, 
hate speech laws, I have to make that clear, uh, find their way into, into uh, the United States. And I was horrified. I mean, I, I, I understand I can kind of get like hate crimes a little bit, but does it really matter if you beat someone to a pulp or you kill them? Does it really matter why you beat them to a pulp or killed them? Does it really make it make the guy in a coma in more of a coma? Is it worse because it was a racially uh, a, um, motivated attack or racially motivated killing? Is it somehow worse because of the the, the motive behind it? How? I can kind of get that. I I, I can kind of. I guess I'll, I'll go uh, a ways down that road with you. But with speech, boy, you start defining what's hateful. And you start outlawing words and, and symbols and, and mascots, boy, you're going down. You're going down. You're going to a place I'm not going to follow. And when she said that, I mean, I, I I always considered her a pretty good person, and that was the first thing. One of the very first things I had to st- I started questioning that. I'm like, whoa, where are you going, woman? And eventually, uh, found out. She's gone. She's a fanatic. She is like the symbol figure for woke fanaticism. And this, this guy that I, I tried to reconcile with over the summer, they're just gone. They're, they're off in Jonestown somewhere. They're, they're, the, the, uh, they're diametrically opposed to Trumpism, but they're so they're, they're basically the flip side of the same coin. They hate each other so much that they're, they've become the thing that they used to despise. When we go back to when I'm talking about V for Vendetta again, when I'm talking about Stephen Fry and Dietrich, how liberals used to think it was cool, it was a good thing to fight back against censorship. They used to think free speech was a good thing when it was uh, Bush and Cheney that were giving you know the uh, dictates to ban things. You shouldn't be doing this. Or in, in the wake of 9-11, Bill Maher you know, got fired and somebody asked the, the, press, the press secretary guy about that. Well, people need to watch. Well, not in this country. You don't need to watch what you say in this country within reason. Liberals used to champion that thought. It used to be the conservatives, the religious nuts who wanted to shove Jesus up your butt. They wanted to censor what you said. You, they wanted to make sure that you knew where the cultural blasphemies began, where the heresies began, so that you knew and understood you'd be crucified. They used to be that used to be a liberal thing. It's not anymore. The liberals have become the thing they used to rightfully detest. Listening to and watching, maybe, Escaping the Cave podcast, escapingthecave.com, Twitter, Facebook, all that shit. I've got tons of likes over at Substack. Gonna have more stuff going on there. I actually posted something there this week. You impressed? Shocked? Me too. So, all that crap that I talked about as far as Facebook goes. <laughs> I forgot to start the damn stream over there. That whole first segment, nothing. It's all right. Yet it's, uh, what time is it now? It's a quarter to five. 4.45 in the fucking morning. Say that fast three times. Nobody's up watching this shit anyway. That's the idea. Do it in the middle of the night while you suck. See? Or until you at least kind of have an idea what it is that you're doing. That's my... That's what I tell myself anyway. So a couple other things. I haven't done anything with the podcast here since November, since before the move. Uh, A lot of things have been going on. and uh, A couple of things that really fell right into my lap on last month, starting with uh, Matt Taibbi, Elon Musk, and the Twitter files. Of course, I'm going to be not podcasting when that happens. I guess I I could have probably, you know, jumped on the mic and and done something on this. Uh, But again, right in my wheelhouse. 
as far as what I've been talking about as far as uh, social media and its effects on the political process, putting its, its finger on one side of the scale or the other. <sighs> I hate to say this. I hate to admit this. Uh, but with the move and everything else that's been going on, I have not really paid that close of attention to it, not as close attention to it as I should, and certainly not enough to really comment on it as of yet. Because if I do that right now, then it's basically going to be me uh, inadvertently probably echoing some shit that I've heard other people say about it. I don't really want to go that far with it. I don't want to go down that road with it yet. I did, however, finally subscribe to Taibi Substack. I, I'm going to go in and I'm going to... Uh, deep dive into this stuff over the course of a few days and really dig into it and see what I can find, see what I actually think about this. But I think it's safe to say, let me, let me just ask, does anybody really believe that the stuff just on a, on a basic broad level, but the stuff that they're talking about happening with Twitter before Musk took it over, does anybody think this isn't happening at Facebook Washington Post, I'd like to see the Facebook files, I'd like to see the Washington Post files, the Times files. I can't prove it, I just know it's true. <laughs> I know this is going on at these other, uh, these other platforms. It has to be, especially Facebook. I, I'll bet you that if you could find a mole the size of Taibi to get into Facebook's emails, I'd really... Really like to see that. Release the Facebook files. Release the WAPO files. The New York Times files. Release the Fox files. You know, if we could do that, we could, boy, we'd be so much better off. And the other thing that happened is the, uh, the Biden uh, document leak thing. Oh, my God. This is the gift that's going to keep on giving. The level of hypocrisy. I threw this in here. I'm sure you've heard it in the last week or two, but I want to play this in the context that they found classified documents next to his fucking Corvette in his garage. You ready? How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Totally irresponsible. That's, you're going to hear this in how many campaign ads? It doesn't matter if he runs again or not. You're going to hear this in campaign ad after campaign ad after campaign ad with imagery footage of the Mar-a-Lago raid. Oh, they're not the same things. They're not the same thing. The media's falling all over itself. The, ex the, the ex uh, excuse-mongering media, the liberal media, falling all over itself to explain to you, the dipshit public who can't process things for themselves, apparently, trying to explain to you why these things are not the same. Why these things are not the same. Screw you. Let me play it again. What did you think to yourself? How that could possibly happen? It's How all one, anyone you need be that irresponsible. to hear. And I thought, Oops. what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. All you have to do is hear that. The higher, the holier-than-thou attitude when Trump, uh, his uh, classified documents were found. I can't believe he did this. This is treason. This is this and this is that. Blah, 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 blah. But maybe it's not the same thing. Maybe the documents aren't as severe. Maybe, you know, he is cooperating more than Trump did. That's <laughs> for certain. But it doesn't matter. The hypocrisy is what people are going to remember. They're going to remember the self-righteousness and then the naked hypocrisy. And Hunter Biden, you don't think this is a field day? I mean, people were talking about seeing like a guest list at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, so they could uh, tell who had access to these files or who were in proximity to these classified documents. Well, was Hunter over? Did Hunter go into the garage? I'm not saying this is, this is what happened. I'm not saying that there's any connection here. What I am saying is going to give people free range to run down Conspiracy Road. Hunter Biden paying $50,000 a month. Is that what it was? To Joe in rent? Yeah, you put all these things together. Again, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying that there's any conspiracy here. I'm not saying anything at all. I don't know any better than you do. But what I am saying is that credibility-wise, in a year's time, you're going to be hearing all sorts of these things. So this isn't good. And I, you know, I listened to Matt Taibbi's, um, he's got a podcast he's going, doing with uh, Walter Kern. And Taibbi seems to think that uh, the Democrats are the ones behind this league. He thinks that 
the Democrats are saying, you know what, Joe, you know what, Dementia Joe, it's time you just ride off into the sunset. And if you don't, look what we have. This is Matt Taibbi talking. And I, at first I, I, I heard that. I'm like, what the hell? Are you, really? You sure? No, he's not sure. But you think about it a little bit more, it doesn't make any sense. That he is seeming to, to be this enthusiastic about running for president again in 2024. One other question I have for you. Where the hell's Kamala Harris? Is she still alive? Has anyone seen her? This is the most, the most invisible vice president that I can remember. They tried shoving her out there a few times. If you had to guess, I mean, if you had to to choose between who's more unlikable, would it be Kamala Harris or Hillary Clinton or Casey Anthony? I said a long time ago that I thought Hillary Clinton was the only woman in the country who was probably less likable than Casey Anthony. And Kamala Harris is right up there with it. And it's obvious that they know this. It's obvious they know how uh, unlikable and disliked this woman is because they never, ever, ever put her out there anymore. You never see her anywhere. It's like they put her in a box, in a little cage, and said, okay, well, you, you did your little glass-breaking tap dance. Now get the hell away, but people don't like you. But yet you know there's somebody out there. There's somebody in Democrat land and liberal land and Wokistan that wants her to run for president again. I went back and looked at this because I, I thought maybe my memory I'm a little older, you know. I'm like, it seems I seem to remember her being one of the very first people who was ejected and jettisoned out of the uh, the primaries. She didn't make it to 2020. She was out in December of 19, right? Yet somehow somebody decided that she was going to be the one to. Not by the color of your skin, but the content of your character. No, no. We need a female and we need a person of color. So there she is. Well, she accomplished that. Congratulations. <laughs> now they won't let her out of the box. Uh, I'm really curious to see how the uh, the classified document stuff goes with Biden. I want to. I'm really curious to see what the Justice Department does, and I want to see and continue to see how the media treats this in comparison to how they treated it with uh, Trump. Because a lot of people, boy, are paying very close attention to that. A lot of just ordinary people. They remember how it went with Trump. And, yeah. They're keeping score. And they should be. <laughs> Listening to Escape of the Cave podcast. EscapeOfTheCave.com, TonsillaX, Substack.com as well. Have a new Twitch channel. Maybe you're watching me on there. Hi. This is fun. I like this live stream stuff. It just adds an element I'm not used to. It's kind of weird. I'm used to having everything was like right here in front of me. I don't have to worry about this shit. Sorry, it takes some getting used to. So, saw a story. Now, this isn't going to happen. There's no way in hell it's going to pass. The city of San Francisco, apparently, is uh, discussing reparations for long-term black residents. They're talking and considering, supposedly considering, I don't know how much of this is genuine and authentic, but they're saying that they want to give, maybe give, $5 million to qualified certain black uh, residents of the city of San Francisco as part of the reparations uh, thing. I think uh, there's a town, I, I, I don't think it's Ann Arbor, but there's a town in Washtenaw County here in Michigan. Uh, Democrat, <laughs> Washtenaw County basically is Ann Arbor, but uh, they're, they're talking about doing the same thing. Not $5 million, I don't think. I don't think Washtenaw, uh, Washtenaw County has that kind of money. But a lot of these local governments now are uh, starting to, Dick around with uh, the, the, the reparations thing, which <laughs> I, I have talked about this at length <laughs> before. It's ridiculous. Nobody is alive 
today who was a slave. You cannot. There is, it's impossible. The cosmic justice equation does not balance itself out here. There can be no justice done because the real victims, the original victims, the actual slaves, and the slave owners, and the slave ship masters, even the people in Africa who captured the slaves and sold them to Whitey, they're all dead. There can be no real justice done. Only after the fact, revenge. This isn't reparations. There's nothing, there's no repairing that can be done. The best that we can do as a society is level the playing field as best we can. The original sin can't be scrubbed clean. And I, part of me thinks that's the point here. And that it can't be fixed. So it gives you this perpetual sort of club by which to beat people with. You had slaves. You had slaves for all eternity. At what point do you get to, at what time, or when do you get to the point right, where things have been reparationed, repaired? Where When is the scale going to be even? When can we move forward as just human beings who, who can deal with each other as we are now rather than uh, how we were 400 fucking years ago? It can't happen. It isn't going to happen this way. So what is what is going to happen, though, with all this talk about reparations giving $5 million to black residents of San Francisco is, well, the white residents of San Francisco are seeing theirs are going, well, that's bullshit. Why are they getting $5 million just for being born black? Where's my money? Right? I, I, I promise you, most people aren't going to say anything to you. Jacques Ellul talked about this, and I just found this. It was either in technological society or in propaganda. But he talked about having a public uh, persona, public opinions, and then also the same person will have privately held opinions that they don't share with anybody. That got, got me thinking about what happened with Donald Trump and the, and the polls and uh, how he could possibly be getting his ass beat and all, these, all the polling. <laughs> but yeah, when it came time to vote, he won. That got me thinking about that a little bit. I think the first time I heard it, well, the, the phrase boomerang was in Propaganda, the book by Jacques Ellul. Maybe, just maybe, you have people who are all about racial equality, leveling the playing field, and doing all they could to make sure that the playing field was leveled. But you see enough of this shit and start hearing how all oh, these poor black people, they're so special. They've been so victimized. You owe them. I don't know. What? What are you talking about? I owe them. I don't know anything. I haven't held, I've never owned a slave. Me personally, my ancestors were all New Englanders. Came through uh, 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 Plymouth, stayed north, New Yorkish, you know, and came down the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway on the other side of my family, the French Canadians. <laughs> Nobody in my family ever owned a fucking slave. I don't owe you a fucking thing, said millions and millions and millions of people. So the more you hear about this and the more you hear about George Floyd and uh, Black Lives Matter and all this resentment, it's going to be quiet. They're not going to step out front and say, oh, God, I'm so sick and tired of this stuff and blah, blah. They're not going to say it. They're just going to quietly stew. Or maybe they'll get together with some people that they really, really trust, like your friendly virtual Tazilla here. And they'll start talking amongst, amongst themselves. And they'll go from this position where they supported equality and racial integration and just start pulling back a little bit. Like, okay, you know what? Now I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. Now I'm getting really sick and tired of hearing about George Floyd and black, how black lives matter, but no other lives seem to. And if you say all lives matter, then you're a fucking racist. You see this over and over and over again, and I'll bet you, I'll bet you. A lot of people just pull back away. Okay, I've had enough of you. There is a psychological phrase, as I said a minute ago, it's called boomeranging. Psychological boomeranging. And so what I thought I would do to kind of get back on the horse today is take a little segment uh, from Jacques Ellul on this. This is from the book Propaganda. Yeah, it's from the segment um, Propaganda and Grouping. Grouping is partitioning, which is basically identity politics. How you cleave groups off uh, and separate them. Identity politics. 
He was writing about this shit in 1964 and, and kind of explaining how and a side effect, but also a goal of propaganda itself. The first thing he said was that everybody's susceptible to the uh, propaganda of his group. I've talked about this, like everybody is susceptible to what their group's telling him. Says he listens to it, convinces himself of it, of the in-group propaganda. He's always satisfied with it. Uh, but those who belong to another group always ignore it, or when they see it, when it's shoved up their butts, like on cable TV these days, or uh, social media. They see it for what it is. They see it for the propaganda that it is. Because you can easily detect, our bullshit detectors are really good when it comes to finding bullshit from other groups, from, from the out group. People we're skeptical of, people we maybe don't like. We're really good at that. I mean, we're phenomenal at it, but... We are terrible at detecting in-group bullshit, the bullshit fed to us from our friends. And it leaves us open to uh, all sorts of fuckery. So anyway, he, he starts to talk about this guy named Lazarsfeld, who apparently did a survey or a study back way back in 1954. Now, I'm an old radio guy. Uh, maybe you guys remember that... Uh, like five o'clock in the mornings when my, when my radio station used to do it, but they had, they're required by the FCC to put uh, public affairs programs on. They're, they're public utilities. The radio stations are supposed to serve the public, not just sell advertisements. And they're supposed to be there to give information, to give public affairs stuff, community service. It's mandated that radio stations have to do this, a certain amount of it, every single week. <clears throat> So for years, most radio stations have just thrown this on the air like four or five o'clock in the, in the morning on a Sunday when nobody's up. Nobody wants to hear this stuff. Nobody wants to air it. Nobody wants to do it. It's just, but it's, it's mandated. If you want to keep your license, you have to do it, right? So they started studying this stuff. And this is way back in like 1954, like I said. I think it was an IFOP survey, I think is what he called it. Uh, and he found in this survey of radio broadcasts, the programs designed uh, to acquaint the American public with the value of each of the ethnic minority groups in the American population, right? Introduce you to different ethnic groups. The point was to demonstrate the uh, contributions each group was making with the purpose of promoting mutual understanding and tolerance. Sound familiar? Inclusion. You know what they found? This is back in 1954 that the survey... It revealed that each broadcast was listened to by the ethnic group in question. In other words, the Irish tuned in to the program about the Irish, but rarely by anybody else. Now, we know exactly what he's talking about here because we see it every single day. If you turn your television on, who's watching CNN? Who's watching Fox? You've got conservatives watching Fox News. You don't have liberals over there watching Fox News. They're not paying any attention to this shit. They're, 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 they're being uh, fed uh, their daily portion by their own handlers. When you get into politics, it gets a, it, it goes a little further because if you put that stuff in front of somebody, they're going they're not just going to show indifference. They're going to have a negative, almost a physical reaction. You take one of these far left guys or girls, you take Moonbeam, and you throw her in front of say I don't know Mark Levin, <laughs> right? Or, or uh, Laura Ingram, yeah, Hannity. Just show her a picture of Hannity and watch her hair set on fire. But they found that in 54, when they're trying to force integrate, when they're trying to, uh, uh, what's the word? I guess there shows some diversity and, 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 and sort of integrate all of these multiracial groups together to uh, make things a little more, I don't know, melt, melty potty, <laughs> right? That the people that they were targeting, that they wanted to listen to this stuff about these dif different ethnic groups didn't bother. They just turned it off. They weren't listening to this stuff. It was only the in-group being fed their own soil and green. Right? And it gets better. Those who read the press of their group and listened to the radio of their group constantly reinforced in their allegiance. In other words, uh, I don't even need to, to paraphrase that. If you're listening to the, the, the broadcast or the public, reading the publication of your in-group, you're constantly reinforcing your own allegiance to that group. And at the same time, that kind of propaganda contains elements of criticism and refutation of other groups. So if you're watching CNN, you're going to hear a lot of criticisms of conservatives. It's never going to be read or heard 
by a member of another group. Very rarely. Bill Maher got into this when he's talking about Santos, how he got elected. He was telling different people different things, depending upon, he was kind of a chameleon. He was a, he was a, a bullshit uh, chameleon. Saying different things, depending upon who was in front of me and who the target audience was. Because he knew, and Mar pointed that out this week, he knew that nobody else was watching, that, that, that the other team that would be able to call bullshit on this wasn't watching. We do that to ourselves because we don't, we're not interested in crossing these lines. We want our team's uh, cheerleaders in front of us. He goes on to say it's like uh, criticism of one's neighbor, which is not heard by that neighbor, is known to those inside the group that expresses it. So you got your little click, right? You got your neighbor back here. You got maybe a neighbor over here. You get together talking and you're, you're talking shit about the guy over here. The guy over here never hears it. But you guys over here are all talking shit about him. You hear it. So it goes on to say the anti-communist will be constantly more convinced of the evilness of the communist guy over here and vice versa. As a result, people ignore each other more and more. They cease altogether to be open to an exchange of reason, arguments, and points of view. Again, this is 19. I keep saying that whenever I get into uh, a little stuff, I always have to, I have to keep repeating. This is 1964 or 1965. This is really unsophisticated shit. You're talking uh, newspapers, pamphlets, radio broadcasts, maybe the occasional TV thing. But 1960, how, <laughs> where are we at now? You talk about, this is, he's talking about echo chambers here in 1964. The internet didn't invent echo chambers. The internet didn't invent that. Social media did not invent the, uh, Tendency toward congregating inside of an echo chamber, a sealed informational echo chamber. We want that. We demand it. Social media figured out a way to take advantage of it. I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing when they did that. But they figured out, unwittingly perhaps, that people like that. And they figured out indirectly, most likely, that they could profit off of it. That's what an algorithm is. An algorithm is your echo chamber giving you only what you want, what you like. The algorithm is exploiting and basing content off of what we want because that is how we're wired. We're storytellers, not truth seekers, and we want the agreeable story. We want the foundational myth, the cohesive narrative that I've talked about. We want that fed back to us. And if we don't have it fed back to us, we either turn it off like these public affairs shows. Or we go find some place that'll give it to us. Now, in this day and age, that's not hard to do. Now, the big difference between now and 1964 is that you had, what, two or three over-the-air networks. <laughs> three, I guess. No cable TV back then. Had radio networks, but they weren't ideological. You were getting the party line. You were getting the state line through the, uh, the radio broadcasts. So what are we talking here? Pamphlets, newspapers, these little publications, basically, right? Maybe the propaganda poster. <laughs> A different world back then. He goes on to say that the basic law, according to which the more propaganda there is, the more partitioning there is. The more propaganda, the more partitioning. The more cleaving off into these identity groups there is. One sentence into this. And again, we're going to go back to the comparison when he was writing in 1964 to now. 1964 propaganda was like a faucet dripping. Drip, drip, drip. This is like a tsunami today with the internet, comparatively speaking. There is no comparison. Absolutely zero comparison to the propaganda of 1964 and the propaganda of 2023. And according to him, he makes a very compelling case about this. The more you have, uh, the more partitioning, the more herding into these smaller and tinier groups. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing here. Think about this. Think about this. Just think about the comparison here. Look at what's going on right now in front of you. I have my phone. That's what I'm using right here. A pocket device. I mean, it's plugged in, 
uh, to power, but that's it. It's communicating with the computer and it's sending this out to Twitch. And over here, the Facebook end, I've got another computer. I can do this simultaneously on two different devices. And I don't know where you're at, but you could be in Australia. <clears throat> you could be in Japan. I don't know if you could be in Russia. <laughs> I like to think you could. I get hits from there occasionally. Maybe it's the porn chicks. <laughs> but think about this. How much more sophisticated is this? Each and every one of us have the technological capacity to reach anyone else in the world instantaneously as long as we know the pathway, the electronic pathway to get there. As long as we can get this person to agree to listen to what we have to say. It's incredible. There is no comparison to the level of propaganda that was available and inundating society in 1964. There's no comparison to 2023. Clearly. And depending on where you're at with the information, you're either going to see it as education, I'm raising awareness, I'm enlightening people, or you're going to see it as propaganda, uh, the propaganda that it is. How do you tell the difference? What's the difference between information, education, and propaganda? Would you know it if you saw it? Most of you, most of us, the only difference, the only line of demarcation, the only delineation, the only distinction to be made is whether or not we agree with the propaganda. It can be just as propagandistic. This example here and this example here can be just as propagandistic, but the only, whether or not you're going to accept it depends on whether it came from your group, whether you agree with it, whether it agrees with your worldview. It's the only difference. It's the only thing that's in, in most people's minds. It's, it's the only thing that's going to determine how they see it, whether they see it as propaganda or just raising awareness. Education, advocacy. It's a really hard line to, uh, to walk, to see the, differ the, the difference between information, education, and propaganda. It's almost impossible. And when you get to a point like we are now in this day and age where it's everywhere, you're swimming in it. How do you tell the difference? If everything's propaganda, nothing's propaganda. How do you know? How can you tell the difference if it's everywhere? One of the uh, lines of, I don't know, distinction, I guess. I think I saw, maybe, was it? Yeah, it might have been in Technological Society. I was thumbing through there, obviously, this week. Yeah, there it is. According to him, now this is from Technological Society. I think it's uh, somewhere between page 365 and 372, like you've got it on your bookshelf, right? <laughs> but he says, propaganda is not uh, the defense of an idea. Okay. But the manipulation of the mob's self-conscious. That's the point where information, education, advocacy starts to become propaganda is when it becomes psychological manipulation to convince someone, to exploit someone's mind, emotions, whatever else. To trick them or herd them unknowingly in a specific direction. That is propaganda. That's the difference between argumentation and propaganda. And he, he, he makes a really good, I, I hope it's here because I may have to do this again next week. <laughs> yeah. He says that the moment the propagandist possesses material means, material means for exerting action on the mob and <clears throat> possesses knowledge of the secret recesses of the human psyche, that's uh, the, the moment that propaganda comes into existence. And I just mentioned this. When he talks about possessing the material means, this stuff, we all possess the material means that if we know how to do it, we can exert action on the mob, especially if we know how to, uh, with knowledge of the secret recesses of the human psyche. We have the means, everybody has the means to do it. We all acquired the material means to influence people. It's an idea that I've had, I've mentioned before, that we've all become sort of uh, Manchurian propagandists. 
that we see how all of this works. We see the uh, psychological exploitation, the manipulation that happens. We see it in all the, all the media. Every, every piece of media out there is propaganda, exploitative, for-profit propaganda. It's monetized propaganda. So if you see it in action all the time, every single day, whenever you turn on the television, if you're always seeing the techniques and the tactics at play, you're going to naturally pick up on it. You're going to learn, maybe accidentally, maybe by osmosis, <laughs> maybe. But I think memetics takes over at some point. And as we cleave off and partition ourselves off into these, into these, these smaller and smaller groups within these larger camps, and we start hurling these things at each other using these psychological techniques that we've seen in action over and over and over again for years without really knowing what we're doing. We all sort of become these, these uh, Manchurian propagandists. And it gets, it's, it's actually worse than that because what we're engaging in as Manchurian propagandists unwittingly is the art of agitation propaganda. Agitprop. Agitation was uh, a technique used by the old Soviets. I think it started in Lenin's time. Destabilizing a population, preparing it, tilling the soil for revolution. It's easier to uh, trigger a revolution when the, the population's destabilized. That's what agitation is in the, in the Soviet sense. But in the uh, wider sense, as far as uh, propaganda goes, it's the same idea manipulating uh, readily available hatreds. Rather than seeing each other as countrymen or rather than seeing each other as, uh, as brothers, you start seeing each other as enemies, despite the fact that you live in the same house, metaphorically speaking. That's what agitation propaganda does. I talk about for-profit propaganda networks and for-profit uh, propaganda being exploited. There's huge profits to be made. Huge profits to be made. Selling our hatred back to us. Alul doesn't, uh, he doesn't pull any punches when it comes to his opinion of human beings. And we love to hate. It's deep within us. It's part of that tribal uh, foundation that evolution has given us, social evolution as well. We love to cleave ourselves off into these groups. We've been doing it. We've been <laughs> tribal for thousands of years. It's second nature to us. Separate ourselves off into these little groups. You got the cohesive narrative, the religion, the foundational myth, the story, the group story that the shamans will tell us about who we are, where we come from, and why we, we are better than them. That's where morals comes from. That's where mores, I guess, comes from, where you have these standards set for the society. And once you can establish that, then you've got the uh, barometer for good and evil, good and bad. Not sent down from on high. It's a cultural thing. It's a social thing. It's a story thing. And once you've got that, then you can point to those guys over there and say, see how evil they are. See how evil they are. At least we're not that. They're going to come and kill our babies. We have to kill them first. We've been doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We're doing that politically now. Socially now. White people are bad. They owe us reparations. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's not hard. To, it's not hard to see this. Not hard at all. Where does that take us? No, we're good. I, I this is where I guess I could I could sort of venture off off the highway here, take the exit and start talking about disinformation, uh, the 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 question of what what's true and what isn't. When you don't have any trust, you don't have a foundational basis of trust, where you don't have a common truth on which to build anything. You can say anything you want. Your group will believe it. Anything they say is not going to be believed. You might as well just get to the warfare. Just start. It's not going to... It is impossible for this to end well. 
the great, <laughs> the great war of the 21st century, I keep talking, is, is information. Reality itself. Wait till the deep fakes kick in. And I, the, the quote that I, I love this quote, it's absolutely true if you put any kind of thought into it at all. A nation or a people that cannot tell truth from falsehood does not remain free. If you can't tell the truth from bullshit, you're a sitting duck. You're either going to descend into chaos. Somebody's going to take over. You're not going to be free then. You descend into some warlord state. Some warlord's going to win. And unless you're on that warlord's team, you're not free. Or the most light, more likely scenario is that uh, the state, the handlers, your owners, one thing they can't stand, it's going to destroy profits, it's going to destroy stability, all of it, and they can't stand chaos. And they're going to bring the hammer down upon thee and establish order by force. Then again, that's the definition, kind of the definition of tyranny, isn't it? Well, if that happens because you can't tell truth from falsehood and you're brawling in the streets over bullshit, whose fault is that? Is it theirs? Completely their fault because you can't tell, you refuse to tell the truth, truth from falsehood? Because you purposely, because of tribal loyalties, abandoned any kind of tethering to external truth and reality. Whose fault is that in the end? Now, the problem with that is that <laughs> I'm not 100% certain that that can be helped. I'm not 100% certain that that isn't just the default setting. That people are just wired that way. This has caused me huge problems in the last couple of years. I haven't put out hardly any episodes in the last couple of years since I started wandering down this path away from... Uh, Propaganda, education, liberate us. I don't know what to do with that. Because we may just be wired that way. This may be the default setting. This may be we may have gone as far as we can with these massive super societies. And we may be receding back into tribalism, these smaller sectarian tribes. Because just because of how we are, who we are. This is what pisses me off about blank slateism. Now we're all born blank slates and everything is any everything is nurture. Bullshit. You have to look at the ugly side of evolution, the ugly side of where we came from, because if that's a fact and it's intact and it's driving much of what's happening, if you ignore it, you're helpless to fix it, to deal with it, to work within it to make things at least maybe you can't fix it, but maybe you, if you understand it, you can make it better. Somebody with mental illness, you know, if they understand they have a mental illness, at least they know partially, even if they can't, you know, uh, stay fully functioning within, at least they understand where it's coming from. Right? Instead of thinking they're God, maybe there's a chance the schizophrenic, I don't even know if it's a schizo, I'm just pulling that out of my ass because that's what's there. <laughs> but maybe there's a chance that the schizo that thinks he's God, if he understands and a portion of his mind, of his conscience, understands that he's a schizo. Maybe a portion of his mind understands he's really not God. But if he's unaware of his disease, if he's un unaware of what's affecting him, he doesn't question it. Become Jim Jones. That's where I, 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 I'm really having a hard time with this. I don't know what to do with it. I want to believe. I do. I want to believe. I don't. Not fully. <clears throat> I do believe my voice is shit. All of a sudden. I got more of this. This was a page and a half. Out of four or five, six pages. Then I got all this stuff over here. Jacques Alul, man. Propaganda. His little pink book. The answer is salvation lies with There is no salvation. I think I want to do more of this stuff, though. I want to get back to more of uh, that material because, boy, without that kind of that level of self-awareness, it may not work anyway. It may be hopeless. No, we may be on the sharp decline, as it is, and there may be no stopping it. May. May. 
but without understanding who we are, where we've come from, and what's going on inside of our minds with clear eyes, there is zero chance of doing anything about it. Escape the Cave podcast, escapethecave.com. Don't bother with that. Tonzilla X over at Substack and Twitch and all that other good stuff. Thanks for clicking in. Thanks for watching if you, if you did. And we'll talk to you next time. So long.